Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 229 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Today, I have the pleasure to talk with Danielle, Blake's mom. As you will hear in this story, Danielle first started her grief journey long before the loss of Blake when she lost her dad when she was in college. And she thought, as I thought after losing my mom and then losing Andy, that I would be a little more prepared, perhaps, when Andy died. But we both learned that that really is not the case. Nothing can prepare you for the loss of your child at all. Danielle really feels that she has kind of a special mission, really, in life, and that is to help connect other grieving families. So she's done this quite a bit through social media. And you can follow her on Instagram at Danielle Duffy. And the Duffy is spelled D-U-F-F-E-Y. And then she puts an extra Y on the end for her Instagram. So you can find her easily that way. Uh, She also has a journal book that you can buy on Amazon. So listen all the way to the end so you can find out more about that. But what I love about the timing of this episode is that next week with Gwen, we are talking about grieving and community and the importance of grieving and community. And I really had no idea when I scheduled Danielle that that's really what her big focus is on, helping people find community. It just really feels like almost divine timing on that. So again, this upcoming live stream is next Monday, February 5th at 7 p.m. So make sure to join us then. Also, I love when we get some interaction with these live streams. So if you have a unique way, maybe that you found community, whether it be online or in person or by journaling, which is one of the ways that you'll will find that Danielle has really found some community, let me know about that. Email me, marcy at andysmom.com, or as most of you do, find me on social media at Always Andy's Mom, either on Facebook or Instagram. So those are both great ways to contact me. I'll also try to put some things out on Instagram, some little prompts, and see if that can help stimulate some conversation as well. So be ready to join us again Monday, February 5th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And that will be on my Facebook page, my Instagram page, or Gwen's Facebook page. So we're doing those a little bit differently now, not the YouTube anymore. Not very many people did the YouTube anyway. And I'm trying to do a little more with Instagram. So thank you for that. For now, why don't you sit back and enjoy listening to Danielle, Blake's mom. Thank you 
so much, Danielle, for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Marcy. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I am looking forward to talking to you today. And we're going to go back and start this story a little bit earlier than we normally start our stories, because we're going to go back to when you first had your first big encounter with grief and your grief journey really started, because it's a very similar story to mine and that you were in college when grief first entered your life. So why don't you start out by just telling us a little bit about that? Thank you. So my name is Danielle Duffy, and I've felt for most of my adulthood, grief has defined me. Yeah. And it all started essentially in college. I was away at college, away from home, and my dad had unexpectedly passed away in a car accident. And we were extremely close. We actually talked on the phone for a very long time the night before because mm-hmm. that's just what we did. And it was it was Easter weekend. So I was home for the weekend and it was a complete shock yeah. out of out of nowhere. And not to say any stories harder, but my story has grief has always been essentially unexpected loss. Mm-hmm. over to me. Every single loss has never been anticipated. Right, right. So that's when you first started having to grieve as you were away at college. You, did you go back then after to finish the semester or not? It was in, it was late April. I barely made it. I was able to finish my finals and I went back home and never, never left. So it was really in survival mode. I yeah. honestly, that's kind of the the body providing what it co- can um, is is survival mode. So that's kind of my story is I, I got through and, and just kind of had to let go of <clears throat> any sort of expectation. Mm-hmm. You know, so you obviously had to be going through the rest of your college as a grieving kid, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So my husband and I had been married for a few years. We knew what we could, we were young, yeah. um, kind of not to say it's, it's not a bad thing, but naive. I mean, we all feel like when most of us are young, life is really, really good and mm-hmm. we can't vision the future, anything but that. And so honestly, I, I never knew how to grieve growing up. My, both of my parents felt like they they both parented in a way that emotions were hard and difficult to deal with. And, and that definitely affected the way I grieved and have continued to do so. So it really, I don't feel like I was able to do that and or know what support was needed. So yeah. I talk about therapy now, but it wasn't almost acceptable back then. It was, there's shame tied to it. I was trying to support my mom or strike up conversations in that grief. And I, it, it was imagined really hard for her, Yeah, but that's, that's how it was. Unfortunately, looking back, I mean, it just didn't seem right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we all, we all 
I think in this day and age are starting to understand that feelings are okay. And so it's okay to not be okay, but it is also okay to be okay. That's kind of my new mantra because that resistance builds up. I mean, it will persist in life again. And our family is, is quite small, but they're in the area. So it was also just a nice, almost unforeseen support. And, and everybody's journey is so personal and different, but that's, that's kind of how it went for me was kind of, I always say, I feel like, as I mentioned, grief has defined me, but it's like, I've been on the lone road for so long. Like I've treaded, I just, I've sought out that road and and that's just how how it's been. But I'm so much more resilient from my experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know for me it was, I mean, it was, it was really hard actually going through that as a college student. And my dad actually ended up getting remarried fairly quickly in less than a year. And my brother moved away. And I, it felt really lonely and hard to grieve. And like you said, I just don't think it was very open really at the time and you just sort of just tough it out and get through it I I did see I saw a counselor at college that spring the first one just didn't mesh well so I I met with a campus pastor for the next few months but you know then after I went and took finals I didn't ever see anybody again for counseling right I mean it just that's just done I go away, I get my summer job, I, you know, stand with an aunt, and then just life's supposed to just kind of go on. And I think I stuffed things away much more than I realized, honestly, until probably Andy died. I don't, I don't think I, I, it was, it was my own therapist. I think I came to the conclusion one day at therapy and saying to her, I don't think I ever really ever grieved my mom right. And she said, no, you didn't. <laughs> I mean, she had known that. She had seen that, that I had not like done that right. And she said, but how could you? You didn't have anyone modeling what you were supposed to be doing or what what might be health, what healthy grief might look like. So it's it's funny. The reason I wanted to bring this up with you is because I think both of us thought that then in adulthood, when grief came into our lives that somehow we should better be able to handle it because of our experiences as older teens and in our young 20s, right? Right. At one point, I started to realize that, yes, I did not grieve in a healthy way with my dad. I really, it was like all of a sudden then this compounded grief later on in life. Yeah. But there's a difference between grieving and mourning right? Mm -hmm. And the morning, even through COVID, we we will dive into that time, was a blessing for me to just help slow down that life because we are all almost wired to just push through just Mm -hmm. in this hustle culture Mm -hmm. to keep going. But we all have this fear of stopping and getting still, which has helped me over time so much in the end. Oh, I love that you say that because you don't you don't know this, but probably. But I have a tattoo on my arm that says "Be still," because that's what I really want to remind myself 
to do to be still in the day. And I wear be still bracelets all the time. That is my, my goal. <laughs> yes. I've talked about that. There's, there's a scripture. It is well with my soul be mm. still. And that's exactly where I want to get that right here. Oh, so yeah. this is where I have mine right here. I okay. can't see it now because of my, my sleeve, but yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's, it just recently was the one year anniversary of my tattoo. So, <laughs> oh. so why don't we go on now and talk more about your personal grief journey as an adult? Cause this has a couple little steps to it as well. Mm-hmm. It definitely does. Life is a journey, isn't it? Of of becoming. So in our in our marriage at the time where we were planning to have a family, kids, we waited a little while. And then at that point, I suffered recurrent miscarriages. Mm-hmm. And they were back to back, essentially the same miscarriages. And didn't really realize that there was support for that. Yeah. And I do think that could have been almost still continue to be paralyzed in grief, mm-hmm. but it was just added to, to the, you know, the grief essentially. And so going through that felt extremely alone and not knowing even how to support myself. Eventually, yes, I've opened up to others mm-hmm. and decided that I wasn't alone. And there are others walking at least a similar journey or had been. And that was one thing I felt like growing up, I was forced to kind of be so independent because my parents worked a lot and that was, that was just wired in my DNA. And so then even yes, mid twenties into thirties, I still continue to felt like I had to grieve alone, support myself alone, everything. And it, it eventually just felt so extremely isolating and lonely Mm -hmm. and also helpless. So I was able to kind of seek that support in that way. And eventually we had our daughter Mm -hmm. and a couple of kids later. So yeah, yeah. But I think you're right with the miscarriage too. That is a painful, lonely experience. I know I had a miscarriage at 13 weeks and it's very, very, very common but you're like not supposed to talk about it really. It's just like, just put it aside and just get pregnant again. You know, it's, that seems to be the pressure. Right. All, all you kind of see are others having kids. And yeah, and a lot of it is who you surround yourself with, your family, your friends, but you feel like you did something wrong. And again, I do not wish that upon anybody. And even if it still continues to be, vulnerable and and takes a lot of courage to share others need this Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but then you went on to have kids right yes yes we we were blessed we are blessed with our daughter emily and then secondly our son blake Mm -hmm. and so we can take a pause there we did not the first two kids we never found out what we were having and so life was pretty good Yeah, when we had a, a girl and a boy because our journey was so challenging and tumultuous. Eventually we were able to find that joy again mm-hmm. for a short while. <laughs> yeah. So you had Emily and then how far long later was Blake? Blake was 
was a short 15 months later, actually. Wow, wow. Yes. So we, we do, did want to have another child, but it, it happened a little sooner than we thought, which was a complete blessing. And once we got over the hump of the first few months, of course, the pregnancies, the delivery, everything was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So talk about Blake. Tell us all about him. Yeah. So, so our Blake, he lived to be 17 months old. He was the old soul, but he had bright blue eyes and curly blonde hair and he was all boy. So we live on a farm here and he was our little buddy. Yeah. (laughs) And, and he came into the world quite quickly and, and also left quite quickly, unexpectedly one day during the nap. I went downstairs and his heart had stopped unexpectedly. So that experience completely cracked me wide open. Yeah. In the sense I was really no no longer paralyzed in my grief. It just completely rocked our world. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz you still had another little one at home. Yes. And she was, she was almost three years old and they were like two peas in a pod. And like, he had such an energetic and lovable spirit and he always took care of her. And, and you just, again, in hindsight, looking back, it it's just very interesting. This kind of the, those like God nods or those moments mm-hmm. where God knew all along. Yeah. <laughs> Blake was such a great hugger. And I remember wildly enough when I put him down for his nap, I was holding him and, and I looked in the mirror and, and I said to myself, like, I'm the luckiest mom in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And we all know grief starts with love. (laughs) Yeah. Grief is really the price of love. (laughs) Yeah. You don't grieve something you don't love, right? Mm-hmm. And there is no deeper love in the world than for your child. Yeah. And so unless you've gone through this, you really can't understand the depths of that. And grief has definitely enriched our lives. Currently, we've been we've been through so much. But during that time, it just completely rocked our world. And it was very rare when a parent loses a child. And so. Especially like that, right? Yes. You just put your toddler down for a nap and they just don't wake up. And I want to say, and I support the, the SUDC and I'll go into that because we all have heard of SIDS, mm-hmm. but we, it's, it's hard to wrap our mind around it. So because he was over one years old, it's considered sudden unexplained death of a child. Mm-hmm. And it's happens between one to 18 years old. And it continues to remain unexplained after a thorough investigation. And we were in our, we were in Rochester, which is the best of the best healthcare essentially in the country. Right. Yep. At Mayo. Mm-hmm. They flew in a medical doctor to examine our son and the waiting of that autopsy, the waiting and the waiting become became unbearable and it was unexplained. Because it takes a long time, doesn't it? 
Yes. So unexpected again, an unexpected loss. Because you were, I'm certain, hoping for answers, thinking there would be something, some sort of reason that somebody could give. Right. I felt like that would provide closure. Yeah. I was overanalyzing everything about that day and the why that would repeatedly come to mind and the guilt and all of those regrets essentially eventually subsided but it's just it's it's so hard to wrap your mind around it and the SUDC foundation is located in the New Jersey area and they support families they provide research mm-hmm. grief groups education a, a retreat they su- they provide support systems for these families and it's unbelievable how many families are in this this group i guess this yeah. unfortunate heartache that we have to experience i mean there's hundreds and often they make an introduction of a new family that has lost a child and it is just gut-wrenching yeah that they haven't figured this out that does make it extra hard, I think. So my mission and, and purpose is to provide that awareness in some small way. And and they talk about talking to pediatricians and they the healthcare system and, and just being that, the voice, because it's becoming, unfortunately, more, more common than not. Well, and it's so hard to know exactly what to do with that information too, right? Because, you know, there's nothing you could do to prevent it. So it's different than some diseases that say there would be some sort of screening you could do. There was some sort of warning sign that was missed. There was something that could be different. When there isn't, you know, like me as a pediatrician, I don't want to go into you know, uh, see a one-year-old and say, you know, hey, I know your child's not an infant anymore, but you just so you know, you could still put them to bed and they could die tomorrow. Okay. I don't, I don't want to tell a family that because that is not a good way to live too in constant fear. So, absolutely. so it's, it's, I mean, it's hard to know what to do. I mean, I, I certainly research is important to do, but in the everyday, you know, I don't, I don't know what to say to people. hundred percent. And we've been considering full cardio heart, you know, workups and EKGs. It it will, it will not matter. No, it We're doesn't matter. Healthy, happy, active as mm-hmm. well. Brilliant was too. EKGs don't detect do. yep. an irregular. That's what's really hard. That's what's really, really hard. Because there really is truly nothing that could have been done differently that would have changed that outcome. And also it, doing that for our family to drive two hours away on a regular basis will not give me a peace of mind. It will give me an ulcer. And yeah. so we've we've done some research. We've met with genetics. We've provided all we can. And there was nothing linked, no genetics that we carry because we all have different genetics sure. that cause, yes. And so- We've, we've had to live through our faith and, and just do the best we can with what we have right now. Mm-hmm. 
So why don't you start out by talking about your grief journey? Because I, I think it's an interesting one, really. And yes. You've done. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so I'm, I'm really at a place too to be able to do so. Yeah. Gosh, I, I will say, and I remember this quite vividly. We had our fourth daughter in 2019. So when we lost Blake, actually, we, we were pregnant with our, with our other son. So that was shortly after that. And that was an extreme blessing, but also extremely confusing and gut-wrenching at the same time. And the fear never left. Yeah. That was, yeah. Also one of the hardest things I say that I've ever done in my life, because that fear can take over. And we really didn't, we were, we, we, we shouldn't have had to even consider, but we just, we just lived, lived the best we could. So uh, we had our son actually about a year later, one year less than Blake's death anniversary. Um, So the blessing of, of our son, Owen, and then about a year and a half later, our daughter Sibley, mm-hmm. and she's definitely the cherry on top. So we'll we'll talk more about that. But I would say the first three long years after Blake's death. So when I had our fourth child, I suffered in silence. There's there's no question about that. I have people pleasing tendencies. <laughs> I'm. I wear my heart on my sleeve and I'm such an empath in every decision that I make. And it really hurt me during those years. And I did the best I could because we had so many life changes, but I really wish someone would have grabbed a hold of me (laughs) and, and just kind of said, you know, maybe, maybe just take the time for yourself. Mm -hmm. I really didn't know how to figure out this new normal, this, this life that was completely destroyed. And you had that fear too, always just that was with you. Yes. Oh, for sure. That just was there that you wouldn't be able to get past without a lot of hard work. So I can see how being a young mama with two other kids and then, you know, I was just talking to somebody else about this recently about how when your child gets to the age that they're older sibling was when they died and goes past that age, how difficult that is and all of that. So you had to do that and then twice again. And you know, yes, man, that just hard, hard. Time stands still. Yeah. And that's interesting you say that because we've we're almost eight years out and there's things that I remember and things that I don't, but that I definitely remember. I wasn't able to leave my kids at like even a few hours until our son Owen was, was almost two. And only I knew I didn't want to leave him. I mean, my, the most comfort I was able to have was with my family and nothing else mattered. So eventually I had to start being a little bit selfish and I say selfish, but honestly, that's, it's not, it's not, it's no, it's not the right word, but that's what it feels like. It does feel like that because losing a child, a young child in your family, it is the most, one of the most uncomfortable things for the, for the in-laws, the the aunts, the uncles, and they are doing the best they can, but really it's just, there's nothing anyone can do. And so we had to kind of go inward and that's what I did 
eventually once I was able to take a breath again. And that's what I say when he was about almost two, I felt like I could breathe. It was like this, this yeah. release in, yeah. in my body. Mm -hmm. I couldn't explain it, but because I had been so, you know, pregnant for years and the loss and the miscarriages, my body was in a lot of like physical pain, you know, that stress was starting to mm -hmm. come through. And I started saying yes to myself and almost being ruthless in, in going inward. And, and I'm just very grateful that at that point, that's kind of what, what was supposed to be once I got through the big things in, in that time. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. This is big. I, I started to love myself again yeah. in that new normal. And that second chance on life is where it began. So what do you think helped you to start loving yourself again? I got quiet. Yeah. I, I resorted to journaling. Mm -hmm. Journaling is my absolute lifeline. Mm -hmm. So what once was so scary, like, heart-wrenching. I, I couldn't even put a word on paper. Yeah. It it has become my savior and just my lifeline through the ups and downs, the joys and sorrows for sure. So when did you start journaling? So I picked up my first journal around that time, 2019, 2020. I followed Rachel Hollis and she has the start to day journal which provided prompts. So I would recommend that anybody who is new to journaling get some prompts because it's so overwhelming. And we, yeah. we often, or at least for me, I, I was already criticizing myself. I was judging myself and no one was, uh, was going to read these words on paper and no one does read the words, right. but I was preventing myself. I was letting that fear take over and just was paralyzed essentially. And I just, I kept showing up. So I started with that journal and it became a practice. And a lot of professionals talk about how they practice gratitude. And I tell you what, that's, that's true. I mean, I'm a testament of time that you start with the small joys in your life. Like I was, I was seeking so like any amount of joy. I think I went to like caribou coffee for 20 days straight because I was able to have a little burst of joy, a sparkle of joy mm -hmm. through so much sorrow. I mean, I went back to work after weeks and just unbelievable. Right. And this was just survival mode. So I built a, a pretty strong habit, wake up in the morning practice gratitude, three gratitudes, just keep showing up. And then what I would hope for today, a smile, a walk outside, just the simplest things and really sank in the moment mm -hmm. without the phone, without the distractions. And it built up over time. It was a couple of minutes and has grown to be almost an hour every single day. And that has been my absolute lifeline because it's built into something so transformative. When did you start this? How long after Blake passed away? So this was three years. Okay. Three, four, almost four. Three, about four years. That's what I was thinking. And I, and I want to make a point of that. Okay. It is not too late. All right. I have so many people feel like, oh, I need to, to have done something earlier. 
I need like it's too late for me, like they're a lost cause or something. You can start any of these kind of practices at any point in time. Absolutely. So for you, it was almost four years. It might be 10 years. It might be six weeks. It does not matter. Okay. So it does not matter. Do not judge yourself on what you maybe have done in the past. And, and if you try something for a few weeks and it works, wonderful. But if it doesn't, right. that's okay too. It's totally fine. Right. We all want to fix things. And in yeah. that too, again, there's a difference between how women grieve and how men grieve. Even my, my daughter, she's grieving. It's been, it's been years. There's a lot of delayed grief that happens, mm-hmm. whether you're an adult or whether you're a child, and there is no manual or, or pathway for grief. And we, we do need to allow ourselves more grace and kindness to ourselves. Mm-hmm. I love that you said that. I love that because that is a key. And what we so rarely do, I think, is be kind to ourselves. So that's something to always try to keep at the forefront. And that goes back to something that you said earlier when um, you said a, something about that you were being selfish, but you weren't really being selfish. That's it right? You feel like you're being selfish when really that was your first glimpse of trying to be kind to yourself. But as these moms, we oftentimes feel like, oh, I'm just being selfish. I need to be thinking about other people. No, 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 no. You're not being selfish. You're being kind finally to yourself. Right. And and those words do matter. I was for a while, I would say grief is defining me and I can't get out of this stagnant grief, like, right. I could feel it in my heart. Well, because I was saying it out loud, it was, it was defining. Yes. Self-fulfilled prophecy. Mm -hmm. Grief is a constant companion and there are days I can't predict, but I accept, I just, tears are what I say, tears are prayers too, right? And tears, they're, they're prayers, they're, they're a relief and it's okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So often when you're around people and you start to cry, like non-grieving people especially, they get so uncomfortable and their first words to you are to say, I'm sorry, (laughs) right? Oh, I'm sorry I made you cry. Like you didn't make me cry. And and that's, that's a phrase that I love that you just said, that your tears are prayers too. And sometimes that might be something to say back to somebody like, no, these tears are just my prayers too. It's okay. I will say because I am asked a lot that people would reach out to me and they'll know somebody that is grieving and they they think I'm I'm going to solve or fix. Oh yeah. And the best thing you can do to support somebody in grief is sit with them and and cry honestly and just be because yeah. they they can only imagine mm-hmm. but they can't at the same time and because grief isn't comfortable or it's maybe not talked about as much as it should. People just don't know what to do. And it, it hurts. It, it's almost like it hurts more when people don't say anything yeah. than oh, something. That is the most painful for sure. Mm-hmm. We've been blessed. We are in a small community, great support system. 
But I know so many others that words, words matter, words have hurt in their journey. And that is just completely unnecessary. It just, it's really too bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you started with your own journaling and, and it's grown a bit though now, right? So you started with the prompts. It has. Yes. I went through a couple journals there. There's the start to day day journal that still exists. And then the five minute journal and gosh, that is the simplest journal, but the most effective in my early days. And, and again, it's the gratitude practice. It's the dreams kind of providing that hope for the future. And research has shown that journaling can be such an effective tool for coping with grief because I've went through therapists and I, I just can't find the right people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this is a safe space to allow whatever comes to mind, but now I've become so passionate. I've created my own journal Mm -hmm. and it's, it's almost unbelievable to me that I never knew that this journey could lead me to where I am today. And I have a copy here at my desk that you can barely see, but it's called the gratitude through grief journey and essentially a 90 day journey to discover the presence in the pain, the joy in the moment and the hope for the future. And it has grief prompts and quotes to support oneself. And you know what? A realization came to me recently was I kept holding off of putting it out on, on the web or on, on Instagram, which is where I do encourage others. And it was that that progress and the patience I was I needed to do. Mm-hmm. But also this journal now supports my former self. Like I am who I am today, but I needed to get through to this point um, before I, I launched this journal. And it's just, it means a lot that I can finally put this out to the world. And I use it currently and I'm, I do some local events here. I'm looking to do some other you know, help, help others build a habit of journaling because it seems to be what is needed right now. And just be that compassionate connector and almost community builder because grief, grief is such a lonely journey, but it's important to be in community. And I I feel like I learned the hard way, but I'm here now and um, just be honest with ourselves. You know what I mean? So that's kind of where we're at. And I'm I'm really pleased to connect with you about this. Yeah, I know that's when you reached out is you really wanted to be able to, you know, tell people about this. And I can't remember the words that you used exactly, but it was it was like that about uh, just being a little bit of a connector. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting if you look throughout your life. Growing up, we moved a couple of times my parents worked really hard for what they had, but I am such an adapter now. Like I, I was in the military after college, uh, I should say after high school, sorry, my dad was able to help me through that, but I'm such an adapter. And I, that is why, like those experiences help me to be that companion to others when things are tough. And I'm pursuing my master's also in looking into the area of counseling. And I never imagined that where I would be here today. No, I'm sure. 
I mean, none of us would, right? I couldn't imagine me doing this today, ever, in my wildest dreams. Six years ago, even five years ago after Andy died, never, ever would have thought this would be what my life is like now. So you just don't know what you're going to do until these circumstances happen. Right. You want your life to to kind of be your plan and and there's really nothing you could do. There There's a greater plan that we we can't all see. But I will say that grief has enriched our lives more than I have ever imagined. Our kids, they give us the greatest joy. We do not take life for granted. No. We are super intentional mm-hmm. and we know our values and we prioritize really what's important. So that those things have, have been blessing through it all. And just throughout, I've received a lot of confirmations through my journaling mm-hmm. that this is where I meant to be. It is unbelievable that in, in whatever faith, spirituality, journey it's there like we I think we have what we need within like the knowledge and the wisdom for sure but we have to allow ourselves and surrender to that mm-hmm. well and it's very interesting the timing of this episode of us so we're talking now a few weeks before this will be released but as this is released next week <laughs> we I'm going to be having a live stream with Gwen And the topic of that live stream is on being in community and finding your community and how important it can be to your grief journey to feel like you are a part of a community. And it's funny because you think of that as grief support groups or different things like that, but there are other ways that you can be a part of a community and not be physically with someone. I mean, I feel like the Always Andy's Mom podcast has now a community. We are a community that a lot of people don't speak to each other. Sometimes they do, actually. I do have a number of people write to me that say, hey, I was really touched by this certain mom. Would you be willing to give that mom or dad my contact information? And I have done that, and they've it's worked out wonderfully. Um, it, it's funny because I oftentimes think of that when I'm talking to someone I think oh this I wonder if this would be a good fit I have somebody in mind right now that I wonder would be a good fit with you you know it's just the way the way we kind of can be in community without being in a support group or being like that so I feel like you're really introducing another way that you could be in a community without having to like kind of put yourself out there right Right. I'm, I'm in a busy season with my family, with the kids, they're younger. We run a lot working full time Mm -hmm. and I'm such a connector. And so I've started to realize that, you know, what does this mean to me? And so it it is a lot of messages back and forth. It is maybe a video out there, but it's, or it's email or or it's planning this smaller event. Yes. It's the digital world is positive in that way. We can all connect in some light. And I will say that there's, there's a retreat center in Northern Wisconsin that is called Faith's Lodge. Mm -hmm. I know people who've gone there. You've got, you've been there. Yes. We've been there twice early in our journey. And I encourage everybody, no matter, I mean, it, it is time and 
you put yourself out there, but it was the best thing for our family. And actually I am coordinating and planning a weekend there in March to honor our son and hosting eight families there in the SUDC community. So from Minnesota and Wisconsin, we're all going to stay together. We never met. Right. And we're all going to be together. And I am further in my journey. And I really am at that point where I can provide a little bit of direction or a conversation mm-hmm. in that that's what I'm really passionate about. Yeah. It's about kind of bringing people together, right? And helping them heal. Because it doesn't feel like you will be able to. And it's not saying that you will be the same because you're not going to ever be the same as you were before this all happened. But it does mean you you can, your life will continue. It just isn't going to look the same. And I think we hold on to that. But deep down, we don't want to be either. Right. So it's just really, there's a parallel, if you think of railroad tracks. I mean, there's always that joy and that sorrow constantly through the holidays, through the anniversaries. It is always there. And so just making aware of those those feelings and emotions and, and working, working through them mm-hmm. is, is okay. <laughs> well, and I'm glad you brought that up because you're right in that we do have to hold on to those things at the same time, hold on to, you know, sadness and joy all at the same time. And the further you get along in this grief journey, and now I'm five years into this grief journey, it seems that other non-grieving people forget that you may still hold the sadness. They don't, I I have not had one person, we've been through Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, I've not had one person even give any sort of hint that they think that any of those holidays might have been difficult for me. They just, they just don't. I, and it's not, it's through no fault of their own. They just don't think of it anymore. They just don't, they just think I should, kind of be over it maybe I don't know what they think are they think they just don't they just don't think about it anymore it's just been it's so such a distant memory in there there for them that it doesn't they don't think about the fact that for me it's still every day yes and it will be yeah and it will be it is it is a lifelong journey and and I know that that's why it's so important to be in community with with the people that really do put, you know, acknowledgement to it. And in it hurts. Relationships change. Yeah. They deepen or they they leave. And and it's such a hard journey. But allowing allowing more more of that positive acknowledgement can truly matter because it's our lives. We live it every single day. Well and I think back to early in my grief journey and I know I had people say to me you know, you're going to have friends that will fall away. And and I thought at the time, not my friends. You know, that that will not happen to me. And, and it's not that they meant for it to happen. And I did, I mean, the community around us right away, I mean, so vital. There's just no way I would have gotten through that. But now, five years out, I need the grieving community to be with me. Because the non, my non-grieving friends just can't be. 
And I, I just feel like I can't keep bringing it up all the time because they're not going to bring it up anymore. And I just, I don't know. That's what I need now is I need some of those friends that just know the grief and know the pain and know that it's still there for me because I just, I don't know. It's just tiring to have to tell other people, you know? It is. Yes. People come to me when, when somebody's lost somebody and they'll say, come, come to the funeral, come right away, right? Like drop off a meal. And I say, the worst is yet to come. Yeah. Because when those people leave, you're alone and their lives continue. Yeah. So I'm going to allow more time. Right. I know that I have a friend who lost her son and I, I didn't know about it for about the first two days. I think people were trying to protect me and not tell me, but then I did learn of it and I went over and I could not believe the number of people that just gave me the, Oh, I'm so glad you're here. And I felt like, they were feeling like they're happy that I was there because it just took some of the pressure off of them. Like, okay, the grieving mom is here. She can handle this. I don't know what to do. So it's more okay for me to just leave now because she's here. And ah, that's not what they need. Mm -hmm. They don't need everybody else to go away. They don't. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's tough. It's just so tough. Mm Mm-hmm. So I want to jump back to your journal a little bit, because can people get this journal? Yes. So it is on Amazon and Etsy. So with with Amazon or Etsy, you can search my name, Danielle Duffy with an E, and it'll pop up. Now with with Amazon, it'll get directly shipped to their house, and it's a little bit quicker process. With Etsy, I'm able to write a personalized note and connect with someone that way. But I'm also available and would love to connect on Instagram at Danielle Duffy, two wise. Uh, I think it's pretty easy to find, but just just to connect, honestly. Yeah, Danielle Duffy. So E and then two wise? Yes. Okay. <laughs> just to help you be able to stand out a little bit. <laughs> Yes. So do you post there on Instagram quite a lot? I try. I I offer encouraging words. I say to about life. Grief is in the forefront. Mm -hmm. About self-love and self-care is a big part of my journey. And and I discovered exercise and running as another therapeutic practice during this journey. And so I share all of of the above. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's just beautiful. I mean, thank you so much for sharing Blake with us today, sharing your journey with us today. Are there any parting words that you feel like you wanted to be able to give to people? I would say, even if I'm a little bit further in in your journey, I'm still walking alongside you and others in in your journey and, and mine as well. And I really hope that others can find the peace for the past and present presence in the pain and just really find that hope for the future. Yeah, because there is hope. There is hope and healing, even when it doesn't feel like it. There certainly is. There's still joy mm-hmm. in, in this world. And if others are those that pick a word of the year, maybe try joy. I, I have... 
created a lot of joy lists that I have on hand just when I need a little reminder. inspiration. Yeah. So that's just one simple practice that has kind of helped me along. Well, and I love how your journaling has helped so much and just sometimes writing those things down and trying to be show some gratitude for some things. I've talked to different moms and some, you know, really struggle with that, really struggle with trying to be grateful for anything. So I love your insight of starting really, really small. And maybe it's just going and getting yourself that fancy coffee, you know, for 20 days in a row, because that's the only thing you're going to be able to be grateful for. Okay, let's go for it then. You know, if it may be just really, really, really tiny for a while, and that's okay. It is. It'll start to build, build up, I, I promise. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing again. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can type Andy's mom, one word, to the number 53555. This provides a link to GiveButter, which allows donations through PayPal, Venmo, Apple Pay, or credit cards. GiveButter will provide a receipt of your tax-deductible donation. Or you can visit the donation page at andysmom.com donate. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 and can receive donations through Thriving Financial and Benevity. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com or on the Instagram or Facebook Always Andy's Mom accounts. Sign up for the email list to get weekly episode links as well as pictures of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.